The scripture reading this morning comes from Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. Hear the word of the Lord. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, and the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Tyler, and I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Community's downtown campus, and I am so glad that you are here with us this morning. And I'm also glad to be able uh, to be up here preaching this Sunday and give Gabe a little bit of a break. Um, Some of you might have heard this, but Gabe yesterday completed his first marathon. Um, And so anytime I hear of someone that ran for 26 miles, I always ask, what are you running from? Uh, But he he finished. It was fun. Uh, He's walking around today. I think he's over checking in on some of the stuff at the Sundry right now. We're having uh, kids ministry for the first time over there today in second service. But anyway, if you see Gabe today, uh, please be sure to congratulate him. I know it would mean a lot. Uh, I've been kind of with him through this process as he's been training, and so really, really proud of him uh, for crossing that goal off the bucket list. He's thinking of doing a 100-mile run or something like that. You can ask him about it, but uh, let's try to talk him out of that at church. Uh, But I'm glad you're here. And in another sense, we've been on a marathon of sorts too, haven't we, church? Uh, This marks our 57th and final week in the Gospel of Matthew. We've been trekking for about a year and a half, verse by verse, through Matthew's account of Jesus's life on earth. And I have to say this is a sad yet sweet day uh, for me. It's sweet uh, in that I'm very excited about what's coming next. We're headed into a Vices and Virtues series. It launches next week and it's gonna explore character, character formation, uh, the goodness of virtue, the badness of vice, uh, really, really good stuff. Excited for it, but it's sad because I'm gonna miss our study of Matthew. Uh, I really will. For those of you who have been with us for a good part of this journey, it's, it's been a gift, hasn't it, to have a front row seat uh, for Jesus' life, to study in depth what he did and how he acted and, and what he said. Uh, I found our journey through Matthew to be very transforming, even personally. I was just thinking back on all the different sub-series we've had in this big series. And you know, during our multi-month study, we've come to see that Jesus came as a king for all people. Remember, this is where we did for Christmas in 2015, right? Wow. Uh, and he came as a king for all people who was on mission to establish an upside-down kingdom where the broken are blessed and those who have been pushed down to the bottom rungs of the ladder, they're exalted and lifted up. Uh, now, this upside-down kingdom that he established, it had an unlikely king, Jesus himself, who didn't quite resemble our usual assumptions about what kings do and how kings lead. King Jesus, he showed humility, He put others first. He used his authority for the good of others, not for his own benefit. We saw a little later that every human needed to choose how they would respond to this king, right? As this king revealed himself as a king worth following. We walked with this king through his final week, seeing him agonize in the garden, seeing him wash his disciples' feet, seeing him remain stoic and steadfast as he headed towards the cross, uh, committing to his Father's will no matter the cost. 
And last Sunday, we watched as this king triumphed, conquering death through resurrection, proving once and for all, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that he is, in fact, the good king, the king over all, the king worthy of our worship and worthy of our obedience. It's been a rich journey through Matthew's gospel. And this morning, as we conclude our time in this extended series, I'd like to make just one request even before we begin. For those of you who have been around a while, for those of you who have been with us on this journey through Matthew's gospel, I'd like to ask if this week you'd maybe skim back over the book of Matthew, maybe you'd pull out some notes if you've taken them, perhaps you'd open up your phone, I see some folks typing on there, I hope they're notes that you're typing on there during service, but will you at some point during this week take some time to reflect back on our study of Matthew and think about what we've learned what God's impressed on your heart. Think about steps of faith you've taken as a result of this study. Will you spend, even if it's just 30 minutes, a little bit of time this week thinking and maybe writing down something that this study of Matthew has taught you or what it's meant to you? Would you think about doing that, church? I I promise that that kind of exercise is so good for us. We can kind of sprint through life so quickly without ever reflecting. And so I just wanted to extend the challenge before we begin in today's text to sometime this week reflect on the gospel of Matthew as a whole to kind of give this message one final chance to seek in deeply in our hearts and do its transforming work. I think it could be a really, really healthy exercise. So please take some time this week to reflect on Matthew's gospel. But now here we are in our final section of the gospel. We're going to see how Matthew concludes his masterful testimony of Jesus' life. And his conclusion is important. Uh, It's it's very significant because endings matter. Endings uh, matter. Maybe you could think of it this way. James Cameron's magnum opus, Titanic, is a captivating documentary of a sinking ship, but it doesn't become a tragic love story until the very end when Rose lets Jack go into the ocean, right? Sorry, it's a spoiler if you haven't seen it, but it's a, it's a 20-year-old movie, church, so catch up. Uh, but it's true, isn't it? Endings, they really, they shape the whole story, don't they? I mean, endings, more specifically, an ending, it even shapes our reaction to a story. I think about La La Land, a more recent movie. I won't give away the ending here, but I'll say this. The ending of the movie shapes how people react and respond to the movie. Most folks make it the whole way, and then whether or not they like or dislike the ending shapes how they respond. Endings matter. Endings shape a story, and endings specifically shape our response to a story. And in this morning's text, we come to the end of Matthew, and Jesus gives clear instructions to those who followed him concerning how he'd like for them to respond to all that they've seen in his life and all that he's done. In the final verses of Matthew's gospel, Jesus declares how those who followed him should respond to what he's done, and he gives them a command. And so today, as we read this text, I want to ask what that command, what that desired response that Jesus indicates, what that could mean for us. So if you haven't already, would you join me in Matthew 28? It's on page 835 of our community Bibles, Matthew 28, starting in verse 16. The text says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. So Jesus, he's just come back from the dead. And his followers, they can't believe it. And here in Matthew 28, they head to a place where Jesus has directed them to go. And when they see him, they're overwhelmed. They cannot believe that their rabbi and teacher, who they just murdered days before, they've seen murdered days before, is alive again. 
And so they worship him. They praise him. They recognize, gosh, this is amazing that he's back to life. But at the same time, even still, some doubted. And I have to say that those two words, some doubted, they actually give me a little bit of comfort. Because how many times have you been captivated by Jesus, uh, so grateful for his sacrifice on your behalf, motivated to follow him as a disciple, ready to embrace his commands and embody his instruction, when just a little bit of doubt creeps in? When just a little bit of uncertainty or hesitancy pops up? Jesus' disciples, they see him there and they know with full confidence that this is the Jesus they followed and traveled with, who they had seen killed, who's back to life. They can see with full confidence, here is Jesus. They're not deceived in in any respect. They can tell it's him, but still, some doubted. I find that comforting. So church, if, if you're here this morning and this has been a season characterized by a little bit of doubt, Uh, maybe characterized by a little uh, less confidence and a little more uncertainty. Can I tell you today that you're in good company? That Jesus' closest followers, his disciples while he was on earth, even in a moment where his power is so plain and evident, this is the Jesus who was dead back to life, even in that moment, some doubted. And doubt doesn't mean that you're disqualified from following Jesus. This morning, you don't need to feel ashamed if you have any doubts. You don't need to feel like God's mad at you if some hesitancy is there. This morning, let Scripture instead motivate you, even in the midst of your doubt, to turn your ear to Jesus and hear what he'd have to say to you. That's what his disciples did here in Matthew 28. Even though some doubted, they listened up as Jesus gave his last words. We're going to read them here now. Matthew 28, starting in verse 18, Jesus begins to speak, and he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So Jesus, he senses his disciples' doubt, and he speaks, and he says, Don't worry. Hey, it's me, Jesus, guys. You know me well. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I have power over everything, everything in the sky, everything on the earth, everything anywhere. All authority has been given to me. Jesus says. I think the 19th century philosopher, uh, he was a Dutch prime minister, a theologian. I mean, this guy really did it all, but his name's Abraham Kuyper, and he brilliantly captures what Jesus is communicating here when he writes, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. Jesus here, recognizing his disciples' doubt, tells them first that every square inch, every atom, all of reality, it's subject to his kingly reign. And then he goes on. He says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Jesus starts by reminding his disciples of his kingly authority. But then he sends them out and he gives them a challenge, a charge. He says to go and share the good news of who Jesus is and the kind of life he invites us to live. Now, many have called these words in Matthew's gospel the the Great Commission. Uh, Great because it is large in scale, large in scope. Uh, It's a mission that uh, uh, kind of accompanies all all nations. Uh, It's a commission. It's a large task, right? It's it's a challenge that Jesus gives. It's a a command. And and I want to say this morning that we, we need to think of this Great Commission not simply as some order that a king gives to his subordinates, right? 
This isn't Jesus as kind of like the great boss man telling his employees now what they're supposed to do as if he's disinterested. Jesus isn't at maybe the top of some pyramid scheme who's interested in backing out now and letting those lower keep getting new sales, right, so the money trickles up. Uh, that's not what's happening at all. That would be a poor understanding of this text. Yet, sadly, I'm afraid that kind of perception is all too common. This morning, though, I want to present a different view. I'd like for us to see that here again in the final verses of Matthew, Jesus is actually inviting his disciples, as he has been the whole time, to live as he lives. He's inviting them yet again to, to join him as he does his work, to be a part of what his work is, his redeeming mission on earth. Jesus is saying essentially in a nutshell, now you keep doing what I've been doing, because let's not forget, Jesus himself came to earth to make disciples. He came to earth to invite human beings who'd found themselves separated from God by their sin into his way of life, into eternal life, God-honoring life, spirit-empowered life. Right? That's, that's why he lived as he did. That's why Jesus died as he died. Jesus came to the world to make disciples. I mean, remember again his great invitation in Matthew 11. He says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. That's his invitation to discipleship. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus came to earth to invite you and to invite me and to invite everyone everywhere into his way of life. Life surrendered to the Father. Life empowered by the Spirit. Life everlasting. Life to the full. Jesus came to make disciples. And then here at this point in Matthew 28, he now invites his disciples to make disciples. And this is critical because it means that we don't just make disciples because it's what Jesus said. We make disciples because it's what Jesus did. We don't just make disciples as a church, this great commission that has been a mission statement for so many churches for so many years. This isn't just something we do because it's what Jesus said. It's something we do because it's what Jesus did. Jesus made, his, made disciples, and in his final moments on earth, he gathered those disciples, and he said to the 11 disciples as a group, he said, now you go, and you go share this with others. And notice, too, it's a collective mission. Jesus is saying to them all together, it's kind of like a y'all instead of just a you, you, you. He's saying, y'all, y'all go and make disciples of all nations. This is a mission that people are to do together. This is why we would say in many senses this commission is a commission for the church, for the gathered group of all those who would say he follow, they follow Jesus. And that's why in a very real sense, Jesus is giving a mission to his people, the church, and it starts with these 11 here, and he's telling these founding partners in his church that the church is for, first and foremost to be a disciple-making enterprise. That means wherever the local church is, whatever it does, at the very core, Jesus says it's to be a place where disciples of Jesus, apprentices of Jesus, those who are in the yoke with Jesus, it's to be a place where that kind of work happens. So those who have embraced the grace-filled good news of the cross and have with gratitude entered into Jesus' yoke, they're to be all about making disciples, baptizing them, and teaching them all that Jesus has commanded. Now, did you know that these words from Jesus, they've had a profound and shaping influence here at Christ Community? From Christ Community's inception nearly 29 years ago, our mission statement has reflected Jesus' mission of disciple-making. Do, do you know our mission statement? Does anyone here know it? 
It's a, we desire to be a caring family of multiplying disciples, influencing our community and world for Jesus Christ. Now, can you hear echoes of the Great Commission in this mission statement? We desire to be a caring family, so there's the we're going together, uh, of, of multiplying disciples, so this idea that disciples that are bringing about new disciples, uh, influencing our community and world, so go into all the nations from Jesus' word, right? There's an expansive view here uh, for Jesus Christ, for the great king in whom has all authority over everything heaven and earth. I mean, Jesus' words in Matthew 28, they've been at the heart of Christ's community from the very beginning. This is who we are, church. I mean, this right here, this is us. And notice Jesus doesn't give just a grand goal for his people to accomplish. He doesn't just say, now go and reach the whole world and leave it at that. He also lists kind of a dynamic strategy for seeing real change happen. And this strategy, it has three parts. Uh, And they are going, baptizing, and teaching. Going, baptizing, and teaching. These are the the three components of Jesus' dynamic strategy for sharing the gospel with the world. And in the next few moments, I'd like to take a little time to unpack what Jesus means as he names each of these three components, going, teaching, and baptizing, is kind of the components of his great commission. So let's start first with going. Going. Now, when we hear Jesus say, go therefore, I think it's easy for many of us, perhaps those of us who grow up even in church settings, uh, to think first and foremost around people who sort of pack up everything to go carry the gospel to a distant place, right? These could be cross-cultural missionaries, and many times they'll uh, learn a new language, embrace a new culture to go take the gospel to a place where it hasn't yet been yet. And can we just say that is vital, necessary work and that all followers of Jesus should be uh, supportive of that work, proud of that work, grateful for those who answer that call um, and travel again all, to really all over the world, right? Uh, bringing the good news of the gospel there. But that's not the only thing Jesus had in mind when he said this. So that's a, that's a big thing we had in mind, but it's not the only thing that he had in mind. He's talking about something more. So our imaginations, they need to expand a little bit. We actually might better understand what Jesus is saying here in this command to go, if we think of it rather as saying uh, kind of as you are going, as you are going, it's actually a little closer to what the original language is saying. There's kind of a thing in grammar where things have a progressive aspect, meaning they keep going. So it just, as you are going, as you are going, as you are going, as you're going to school, as you're going to work, as you're going out on a Friday night, as you're going to the gym, As you're going through the regular rhythms of your life, as you're going to the store, to an appointment, Jesus is inviting his disciples to bring the good news of the gospel with them in both word and in action. Jesus is calling his disciples to be traveling beacons of good gospel hope wherever they go. I mean, and this should sound familiar to us. This is similar to what Jesus said in Matthew 5 when he talked about his people being salt and light, isn't it? You see, we as the church, as we leave this Sunday gathering and, and spread throughout the city to our various vocations and callings and roles and responsibilities, wherever we go, we're to be influences that are sharing the good news of Jesus through how we present ourselves, uh, bringing Jesus' presence very much like through our presence into a space, sharing the message of Jesus Christ. If you've trusted Jesus is your Lord and Savior, and you're following him. You've been invited to be on mission with him 24-7, 365, as you are going wherever you go. That's the first part of Jesus' dynamic strategy to, to reaching the world. And then the second component, it, it's baptizing. 
Now, before we began this morning's service, we watched a video celebrating uh, our all-campus baptism service. It's something we do twice a year as a church family. We all come together from each of our five campuses, joining together to, to celebrate those who have uh, committed to baptism. And just a reminder, baptism at Christ Community, we defined it as an outward act identifying an inward change, a decision to trust Jesus and embrace him as Lord. And that's something we celebrate as a church. That's something that gives us great joy that there's people in our midst, in our community who recently have said, I trust Jesus. I, I place my hope in him. I think he is who he says he is. And I want to take the next step of baptism. And so that's why we all get together and we all celebrate. And there is uh, much rejoicing in many desserts. And so baptism, it not only testifies to a person's individual transformation and conversion, it, it also is a way that people identify with the church. It's a way they say, I'm part of this Jesus community. Now, Jesus references baptism in this context to kind of underscore a broader point. He wants his disciples to realize that they need to be committed to what we might call uh, evangelism or the verbal communication of Jesus' message to others. Now, why do I say this? Why am I reading baptism as a commitment to evangelism? Well, simply put, it's because evangelism fuels baptism. Evangelism fuels baptism. If Jesus' followers are going to be about this mission and they're going to be baptizing people into the faith, they're first going to have to share Jesus' message with others. Indeed, the, the verbal communication of who Jesus is and what Jesus has said and what Jesus has done, it's necessary for others to hear about Jesus and learn about Jesus and to fall in love with Jesus. And when someone falls in love with Jesus... And said, so this is someone I'm ready to commit my life to. The, the next logical step is to be baptized. Do you see how they go together? Evangelism, it, it fuels baptism. Now, Jesus never wants his disciples to manipulate or coerce others into following him. He doesn't want his people to force or kind of twist other people's arms into saying some magic words and then checking it off in some kind of box. But unfortunately, there's some kind of evangelism strategies that have done that over the years, and, and those should be lamented. That's not what Jesus wants at all. But rather, he wants those who love him and know him personally to speak about that love and about his story to others. He wants it to be on the lips of his followers so that those they interact with can hear about Jesus and then fall in love with him. It's not our job to change anyone's mind or change anyone's hearts. We don't have to lay down some ultimatum or force anyone any direction. It's simply our job as those who know Jesus to, to talk about him, to tell his story, and then as we see folks fall in love with Jesus, to baptize them and invite them to join our community. So those, the first two components, they are, again, going as you are going, right? And what are you going to be doing? You're going to be telling people about the good news of Jesus. So it's the going and the baptizing. Here's the third component. Uh, Jesus says his disciples should be teaching those, those who have been baptized, right, teaching them to observe or obey all that he has commanded, now, the kind of teaching that Jesus is describing here, it's not the kind of teaching that takes place in a classroom, right? That's kind of our, our popular perception of what teaching is, that there's an instructor and then there's people that sit, and it's kind of teaching is idea communication. And that's a very good type of form of teaching. That's actually very necessary work for a church to do. But that's not the teaching that Jesus has in mind here. Jesus instead is advocating for a kind of teaching uh, that, that draws us into greater intimacy with him. He's talking about kind of a, a teaching, a way of learning that renews our minds, reorders our priorities, rearranges our lives and our loves, and forms us into greater Christ-likeness. 
Jesus, in other words, here, when he's thinking about teaching, he's not thinking about like classroom content communication. He's actually thinking about learning that takes place uh, through relationships, uh, in the workplace, through friendship, through family, uh, at work, at play, really in every area of life. Jesus is thinking about a kind of learning that takes place when people apprentice themselves to him and then through the power of the Spirit as they're going about things in their various lives are learning what it means to be more and more like Christ. He's talking more about kind of a discipleship, a learning opportunity in flesh, on the ground, not a, a classroom type experience. This kind of learning, it takes place as we engage spiritual disciplines like prayer and solitude and service and Sabbath and celebration. It takes place in community. It takes place as we first seek to be good students of our master Jesus and then kind of share what he's taught us with those who are around us. Right? That's, that's the teaching Jesus has in mind. So he has a mission and he invites us to join it and the mission has three components to his strategy, the going and the baptizing and the teaching. And, and as we're walking through all of this, I can imagine that some of you might be thinking, okay, I get it, I've heard some of this before, but geez, Tyler, that sounds like a very tall task. Gosh, to take the message of Jesus everywhere I go with me and to be thoughtful about how I communicate it with others and then to be living in such a way that I'm both learning from Jesus constantly but also showing others what life with Jesus looks like through my action and every sphere of life, that, that sounds really weighty. That sounds like a whole lot of work. That sounds incredibly difficult. And I would say you're right. I mean, it is a tall task. Jesus, he's not extending an invitation to just add an extra habit or two or tweak things minorly. He's actually extending this invitation here and, and asking for his disciples to reorient their whole lives, uh, to move a lot of things around, to change what assumptions and motivations are driving things. He's, he's calling for sort of a, a total transformation. And it can all sound overwhelming until we remember what Jesus says at the very end of verse 20. He says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus, who begins these final words in Matthew by asserting his authority over everything, concludes by reminding his followers of his presence. I'm with you, he says. I'm not going anywhere. I'm right at your side. We're attached here in this yoke. Don't worry, you're not alone. This is a, a high task, but you're going to have all that you need as you move forward in this exciting mission. Jesus tells us that he's going to be with us. He promises his presence. He promises to be with us as we respond to his call to make disciples. Now, church, this is what we are all about here at Christ Community, we believe deeply in this mission, this idea that Jesus is with us and empowers us to go into our communities and then into the whole world to see gospel transformation. This is at the heartbeat of who we are, and it's been at the heartbeat of the church for over 2,000 years. It's propelled the church from this small group of 11 people who saw Jesus after he raised and worshiped while some doubted from that small group to now spanning the globe where there are literally billions of Christ followers gathered on Sundays worshiping him in context just like this, right? A global family who called Jesus Lord. It would have seemed unimaginable 2,000 years, but now it's a reality. The response of men and women around the world to this call, their willingness to embrace and embody what Jesus says here at the conclusion of Matthew, their, their partnership in Jesus' mission, it, it has literally changed the world. 
Jesus said it would in Matthew 16. He said that his plan was to build a church that nothing could stop. And that's what's happened is individual after individual and church after church has said yes to this great invitation to being part of his mission. And so in these final few moments together, I'd like to ask a question. And I want to be clear, and you all know me fairly well. I don't mean this question to be anything that comes off as heavy-handed. I really want this to be uh, reflective and open. There's no need to feel shame, but I do want to ask, what keeps you, what keeps me, what keeps us from joining Jesus' mission? What keeps you, right? what keeps me, what keeps us from joining Jesus' mission? Because the fact is we don't always live this way. I know I don't always live this way, even though I'm deeply committed to this mission, even though the church that I'm a part of and, and work for, right, is, is deeply committed to this mission. I don't always live this way that Jesus describes. I'm not always taking the message of Jesus everywhere I go as I'm going. I'm not always thinking about how to communicate it well. I'm not always eager and excited about opportunities for evangelism. There's times I feel too tired, too empty, too worn out uh, to participate in the mission. There are other times I feel uh, too nervous too intimidated, too worried about how others might respond to engage in this mission. There's times when I'm afraid. Uh, there's times when I don't know that I, when I don't think that I know enough or that I'm not prepared enough. There's so many things that can keep us from Jesus' mission. But, but what keeps you? What keeps you from joining Jesus' mission? What keeps you from getting on board? I mean, is it, is it fear? That's a, a common one. Is, is, it, is it doubt? It's also common. Is, is it a life characterized by too many competing priorities? Is it uh, kind of some embarrassment? Uh, maybe you're embarrassed over even the shallowness of your own faith. You think, you know, I'm not even sure I'm taking this faith seriously. Why would I want to go out and share that with others? Could that be it? In friends, awareness of what keeps us from joining Jesus' mission uh, is critical. It's, it's the first step on the journey to possibly embracing that mission. And so this morning, I'd like to offer some encouragements to all of us. Uh, first and foremost, if fear is what's keeping us from embracing Jesus' mission, may we remember those last words, that we are not alone, that Jesus has promised to go with us, that our church family is beside us, that we uh, will not be unsupported, especially when the mission gets difficult. If fear is a reason, you'd say, gosh, I think it's some fear that's keeping me from joining this mission. Can I just encourage you this morning by saying, you're not alone. And if doubt, if doubt's what's keeping us from embracing Jesus's mission, may we remember how this morning's passage began, that it began with Jesus extending an invitation to people who had doubts, that doubt doesn't disqualify us from hopping on board with Jesus. Uh, if anything, our doubt, I think, can serve as motivation to more faithfulness and better discipleship. Lean into doubts. Uh, use it to be an encouragement to ask good questions, to meet up with others and seek good answers, to pray together, to say, hey, have you ever thought about this too and find good community in the midst of doubt? I mean, doubt can be a great motivator. Don't keep it internally. Don't let it kind of be some silent secret that then erodes and destroys your desire to join Jesus' mission, but rather realize that doubt doesn't disqualify you from hopping on board. Own up to your doubts and see if God can't use them as motivation to be even more and more excited about being a part of the mission. If having a calendar filled with too many competing priorities is what keeps you from hopping on board with Jesus' mission, um, if you feel like your life is too busy or too complicated to be part 
of his discipleship-making mission. Can I, can I say to you this morning that can you remember that Jesus invites you to be a part of this mission as you are going? That he's not really interested in you having to drastically reshape or alter your calendar, although if you're not having a Sabbath, you should, right? I mean, he wants rest for you, but he's not interested in cutting things out or saying you can't do this, or you can't be involved, or you can't be, I don't know, out and active in the community. Actually, he loves that. The invitation of this passage is rather to, as you're going all those places, change what's happening underneath. Change what you're thinking about as you go. Change what some of your motivations or desires are when you get there. Maybe this is another way to think about it. Jesus isn't asking you to add a few more apps to the phone, but he's wanting to change the operating system, which is a hilarious analogy from someone who does not even have a smartphone, right? But it's, a, it's this idea that underneath it all, Jesus is wanting kind of the, the assumptions, the driving motivations, the operating system. He says, that's what I want to change. Your calendar isn't too full to be part of Jesus' mission. Rather, he's wanting you to take him wherever your calendar takes you. Does that make sense? If it feels like, oh, I'm too busy to be a part of this, no, 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 just let's readjust the assumptions underneath. As you're going about your day, as you're responding to the various responsibilities you have, Jesus is inviting you to be a part of his mission by bringing his grace-filled message wherever you go. And, and, and finally, if you're nervous about joining Jesus' mission because you're nervous about the quality of your own apprenticeship to him, I'd love to encourage you today to think about some small steps you could take towards more authentic discipleship this week. Because remember, you are indeed yoked to the master teacher who wants you to experience his goodness in his full life. Jesus is all about you growing and learning from him. And so if you're saying, man, a reason that I'm nervous about joining the mission, a reason I'm not more active in the mission is because I'm kind of nervous or kind of ashamed of the own state of my spiritual life, would you hear this message not as a rebuke, but instead as an invitation? An invitation to step up a bit, to take one more step of faith, maybe a new spiritual discipline to try. Maybe there's someone you call up and say, hey, I've been struggling to read my Bible faithfully or to pray a lot. Would you pray with me? Whatever it might be for you, would you hear this as an invitation to sure, I want to be a part of that mission. I see that it does great good. I need to step up in my own faith. Maybe today this is an encouragement to you to take a step of faith this week to kind of double down in your commitment to being discipled to Jesus. Because I think it's worth acknowledging what keeps us from joining this mission, and I think it's worth facing our fears and owning our doubts and realigning our priorities and deepening our discipleship because the results of Jesus' mission are so good. I mean, think about it this way. If you're here today and you would claim to be a follower of Jesus, that means your life has been profoundly shaped by someone else who positively responded to Jesus' call here. I mean, I know that's true of my story. I have been deeply changed as the result of faithful people who joined Jesus on mission. I was thinking about this week. I thought first of my parents who introduced me to Jesus and showed me what a life of faithfulness to him looked like. I was lucky in that regard. I think of a dear friend, T.J. Wallace, who entered my life at a very pivotal moment in college, uh, showed me what Jesus' grace looked like and what his love looked like with kind of real hands and feet on. I shared some stuff in my life that I was super ashamed with with T.J. It was the first person who responded so well to me in a moment of confession. I felt Jesus' graciousness there. I'm thankful for T.J. responding to Jesus' call and commission. I think of a man named Mark Newsom who mentored me from my sophomore year until my senior year of college. Uh, I love Mark. I actually, Mark worked for an organization called Crew. 
Uh, he left working with crew at Indiana University at the same year I graduated, took me to an ice cream shop to tell me, and I just sobbed in this ice cream shop. I totally killed the mood at Jiffy Treat in Bloomington, Indiana, but it's because I love Mark. I love what he meant to me. I loved the way that his yes to this Great Commission message profoundly shaped my life. I learned what it means to be on mission from Mark. I learned uh, all kinds of disciplines from Mark. Mark gave me my first ever kind of speaking in front of people gig uh, that's, that's wound up, I think, in good places, I hope. You can send your complaints to him. But I love Mark dearly. <laughs> love Mark dearly. I think also of a man named Rob Gervin, of, of Adam Cramp, of Leslie Clark, and Ingrid Farrow. There are many, many names of people who responded positively to Jesus' call to extend his message of grace to others, and it's had a profound influence in my life. So what about you? I mean, who are those people in your life who have loved you and taught you? You've taken some of them with you, and that as they were going, they brought you along and showed you what it means to follow Jesus. Do you have those people in your life? I mean, I would encourage you now, if a name comes to mind, perhaps you might say a small prayer for them this week, or maybe send them a little card and thank them for the impact that they've had. It always means the world to folks. And if a name doesn't come to mind, if perhaps you're newer to the faith or maybe you just haven't had that opportunity yet for someone to join you, can I tell you, you are sitting in a church filled with people who would love to take those steps with you. Church, we've spent 57 weeks studying the story of Jesus and Matthew, and we've made it to the finish line. And it has been a fulfilling journey indeed. But now we have the opportunity to take all we've learned about Jesus and all we know about his life, and all that we've experienced in our own life, and we have the opportunity to share this story that we now know so well as we are going wherever we go with those we encounter. So our call today, can we be a kind of people that commits to carrying this gospel with us wherever we go, of taking this mission forward together? Is that a mission you're on board with, church? That's what I'm on board with. Let's, let's pray. Jesus, we, uh, we are grateful for you. We're so grateful for your sacrifice uh, that we celebrated last week, Lord, your resurrection, uh, which has profound implications for us each and every day. But God, we can sometimes forget your mission. We can be overwhelmed with fear. We can experience doubt. We can let our lives become kind of cluttered and too busy and unfocused. Lord, there's all kinds of things that keep us from joining your mission. But Lord, may you remind us this morning of the way that your mission has had great impact and influence in our lives. And may you give us fresh motivation for joining you yet again in your, your task, your desire to bring about your good news, to have it shared with everyone everywhere. Lord, we want to play a small part in that. We ask for your power in it. We thank you that you have promised to be with us in that task. We bring all these things to prayer to you this morning. It's in your powerful name we've prayed. Amen.